Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We got no song suggestions, did we, this week? Uh, No. Which is probably just as well, given um, I'm now having a husky voice and I don't actually have... I just don't think anyone wants to hear it, if I'm (laughs) honest. Um, I don't know. I think it was pretty popular last week, though. No, no, no. Um, I, given that there's been no requests, I would assume that actually they're done. Because we'd nailed every song. Okay, take it's that worth. how you will. Your, uh, your self-awareness is... Take that. Is that what you said? It's shocking. No. no. <laughs> Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Just when you thought the WSL was about to calm down and then it throws up a weekend like this weekend. On today's show, we discuss Manchester City's shock defeat to Brighton and Arsenal's ridiculous comeback against Leicester. Plus, we cross the pond and speak to Megan Swanick for an NWSL update after Gotham lifted their first ever title and Megan Rapino didn't quite get her dream farewell. And Alex Epicetta joins us to talk all things Real Madrid ahead of Chelsea's trip this week in the Champions League. Right, every single weekend, we want to know, Rach, what is your moment of the weekend? I'll give you two. I'm going to lay out there. I've got two. I always do. I'm going to stick to the rules. Okay, I'm going to pick one. Good for you. Go on. Um, This very rarely happens, but at the Leicester Arsenal game, Mm -hmm. all eight goals were scored down the same end, and it was the end I was shooting at. And that's your moment? That never happens, Chloe. Like, 
celebration photos are so hard to come by. You never know, especially in this league, which end is going to have the action, which side of the goal you need to be. Eight, eight goals in a 2-6 game were in the same goal. That never happens. And it, it's so rare that it deserves to be my moment of the week. That's such a selfish moment of the week, just so that you could get your shots. I can't yeah. believe that. How? Okay, what are, what's yours? How unselfish are yours? Okay, well, wait, hold my beer. Right, so my first moment is a little bit of a touch into the LGBTQ plus sphere, okay? Not like your selfish little moment just then. Uh, Michael McCann, I think it was Michael McCann for the Chelsea Everton uh, commentary team on Sunday. Um, obviously, Sam Kerr, Christy Mewis have just got engaged. Everyone knows about it. It's a big deal um, but he was basically saying you know as an openly out LGBTQ plus member he was really impressed by the fact that there were openly out role models in the game who were sort of able to represent themselves and how important that is to, for, for visibility and I just thought actually that was a really touching moment a sort of personal insight sharing of his own story um, yeah and I think a lot of people would have responded quite well to that so my second one is a massive throw to Super Salmon um, I mean, what a weekend this kid had. Not only scoring one of the most beautifully struck clean balls on the planet, but also being a massive part of the fact that Aston Villa have now entered the WSL again. Amazing. Just, yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. No longer I mean, bottom. No I'm longer to, bottom. Just to a less bad goal difference. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought, I mean, given the fact she's 22, obviously came over uh, this summer from Houston Dash, I think at that, and then doing it obviously against her former club as well, I thought, you know what, like you've taken the weight of the responsibility uh, on Aston, of Aston Villa's, you know, very crap start to the season on your shoulders and done the business for them in that game. So congrats, Salmon. Congrats, Against her old side as well. She used to play for Bristol. Oh. Yes, not, not easy. Not easy at all. Let's get stuck in to another weekend where we thought we were experts and we ended up being kind of experts, but almost, you know, coming unstuck for a couple of results. Uh, Brighton. <laughs> Hang on. I bigged them up at the beginning of the season. I was excited about Brighton at the beginning of the season. Right, and fine. But were you expecting that they were going to win this game? Win no. it? No. No, I thought absolutely if not. they could get a draw after last weekend's performance, that would be amazing. Um, I, I got really lucky this weekend because I did Man City Brighton and I did Leicester Arsenal. What the a two, touch. Like, yeah, the two the big games. Love it. Um, yeah, that was... So I find sometimes, right, sometimes as a photographer, if I'm watching a match and I'm like working for gravity as well, I'm doing like multiple things. And sometimes you kind of experience the game slightly differently than if you're sitting up in a stand just watching the game. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, Man City are all over this, like so much possession, hit the crossbar in the first 20 seconds. I was like, they're going to get a goal any minute now there's going to be a goal because they're dominating this game. And actually on reflection, when the game finished, I thought about the fact that a lot of their shots, they had created 35 chances Chloe and about 13 of them on target so many of the chances that they created were straight down the throat of Sophie Bagley and they were being forced into taking long distance or, or kind of shots from outside the box and um, there weren't that many I think it was one really good diving save to the right from Sophie Bagley and don't get me wrong she did make a lot of saves but mm -hmm. in terms of what they were creating Brighton did a very good job of stopping them from getting a lot of really up 
really clear-cut chances on goal. And I think that is down to how they set up. They knew they weren't going to have a lot of the ball. That's something that Mel Phillips said after the match. They knew they were going to be out of possession a lot of the time. It was about their movement. It was about staying focused and about being strong defensively. And they were. And, you know, there were frustrating times in midfield where they would lose possession and there would be their own kind of undoing a lot of the time where they would just give the ball back to Man City in their own half. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think a lot of credit has to go to them with how they managed the game defensively. I have to slightly disagree, I think. I love what um, you do. <laughs> it's, um, there were 35, the fact that 35 chances were created suggests to me that Brighton allowed those chances to happen. Obviously, 13 shots on goal, you're expecting that Man City are going to be more clinical. And I think I was disappointed with, you know, Hemp, Kelly, uh, Bunny Shaw's header sort of skimming the crossbar. All of these chances, like you said, were directly down the throat of Bagley. I think had they, they were getting into positions that were like right on the six-yard box. I mean, they should have been doing better with those. And I think it was Man City not firing on all, on all cylinders and capitalising on being more accurate that actually was Brighton's saviour. It was just one of those games where the ball was just allergic to the back of mm. Brighton's net. It was just that. I don't think Bagley had a, an outstanding game. She's a, She's been incredible this season, but I don't think there was a lot technically for her to do, bar one or two sort of more difficult... Bar that one um, down down to the, the right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I think it was more on the fact that City couldn't convert, that Brighton were brilliant. I think um, Brighton were good, I think. I just but... mean like focus-wise, right? You would expect at some point that something would slip. And I think they did well to like be throwing their bodies on the line and you'd almost understand if they were like, oh my God, this barrage is too much and kind of fall apart. And I think they managed not to do that. I think you're right. It was an element of, I think they did well defensively, but equally City were flat. Absolutely. Um, and I think um, it's it's quite nice, I think, to see Brighton in a position now, eighth in the table, um, far away from the relegation zone. I think they're not on that relegation roundabout that they kind of were. And I know it's, I, I appreciate it's still very early doors, but they don't seem to have the same heat that they did at the start of the season. I mean, we were constantly talking about Brighton at the pack. You know, when we were doing that horse analogy last season, how many times were we were like, Brighton's behind, are Brighton going to fall at the next hurdle? Like, we weren't expecting that Brighton would come into a game like Man City and have any chance of walking away with that point. And I'm glad they did. It just makes it a spicier league. But at the same time, what an absolute blow for City to have two former players of theirs be the one that put the the very small, tiny, very early nail in WSL title hopes. Um, it's... It was painful. And I think City, it was a complete lapse in judgment from City. I mean, the ball in from Bremer, obviously Lee converted the back post. Keaton had absolutely no chance. Nothing that you could say about about that. But it was a complete lapse and it cost them. Brighton had, I think, six chances, six opportunities and three shots on target. And one of those went and in. it's hard because that's two losses on the bounce. Like Man City have now lost that really great home record that they had, you know, and... Another really interesting point, obviously Brighton have never beaten Man City before, first of all. Secondly, they had 15, they failed to keep a clean sheet for 15 away matches. And it was the first time they'd kept a clean sheet in that length of time to Man City, which is pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a real blow. And I think we've touched on this before. We always talk about the big games where the top four play each other. But actually, like one banana skin along the way could potentially route, you know, your your road to victory or your road to the title. So, you know, they've now got to come off the back of two defeats and play Manchester United at Old Trafford next weekend. Um, so it's tough. Like, they have to go again. They have to pick themselves up. We kind of, we were looking at them as a team that were going to 
you know, we expected to be consistent given they hadn't brought in a whole lot of names. Um, you know, so it is, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this derby goes next week. Well, I think this is the thing now. Are Brighton positioning themselves as the new disruptors to the WSL? I mean, you've got two games. If you'd have said to Brighton, oh, you're going to take away four points out of a game with Manchester United and a game with Man City, they would have said... <clears throat> not on your tr- not, not not in any sphere of our imagination is that going to happen realistically like when you're doing your kind of points about who you're going to pick up points for where you're going to lose points at the start of the season those would have been two games that probably would have been a write off and now they're going into their next game with um, who's their next game against Arsenal against Arsenal yeah. yeah another top four side and Arsenal should be thinking Christ like we had a pretty bad first half if we're playing that first half like that against Brighton <laughs> it might not be the same incredible comeback that we see for the second week in a row. So, yeah, Aston Villa, who we thought were going to be the disruptors, haven't disrupted shit. I think I think what's interesting is maybe there's not like one consistent disruptor, but there's multiple disruptors Ooh, nice. along the way. This is the thing. Nice. You've got Liverpool taking points off Arsenal. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got teams here and there, and it's just showing that no game is a, a walk in the park, right? Like... They might be focusing, obviously, a lot. We look at the top four clashes and stuff. But actually, along the way, you could slip up. You could lose easily to a team that you don't expect to lose from. And suddenly, you know, the table is looking entirely different. And Arsenal are no longer sixth or seventh. Now they're second. Like, what is going on? This is wild. So Brighton now sit in eighth. Does this kind of like feel like a bit of a transitional moment that you go from being a relegation Robin to being a middle of that. the ta- middle of the table Melvin? Do you know what oh. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> did, you, did you prepare that? I actually didn't. That's actually just come to me. Um, but you think about all the kind of the players they're bringing in. They brought in Mel Phillips, who obviously had quite a lot of success at London City Lionesses, who were always in the top rankings of the of the championship for, I think it was about four or so years. And then you look at the fact that last month, Brighton got permission uh, for England's first purpose-built women's football ground. This is ambition. I mean, Melissa Phillips was saying after the game, the club's not been shy about sharing ambition towards the top four. And that's not anything with a definitive timescale. They want to do it, obviously, you know, right and in the right way. Um, But she said that's just something we need to move in towards every single day with the actions we take on and off the pitch. So, you know, small steps. And we don't want to get, I don't want to get too carried away because they need to be beating the teams they expect to beat. And that's where... Mm -hmm the challenges come because we know teams step it up when they're playing, when they're an underdog, right? And it's it's seeing them maintain that kind of level of performance in a game where they expect to get points out of it. So it'll be interesting to see how, because I do think Brighton have improved as the season has gone on. Even against Chelsea, I thought they played well in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's how they carry that on into each game that will be really important. Um, and we've talked before about ambitious teams and, and where they're maybe putting their funding, right? And we've said... You know, you've got teams that maybe need to be putting more into what players they're bringing in if they really want to compete. Or you've got clubs who are saying, well, we're going to put the money into a stadium or the training Mm -hmm. facilities or whatever it might be. So I do think it's a slower process and that's fine. And it's so long as the club are maintaining that expectation, they're not kind of going above and beyond and saying, well, we've put a load of money into this training facility. So now you should be top four. Like it does take time. Um, And it is, it's an interesting approach and it'll be interesting to see how they get on because it's expensive to build a purpose-built stadium you know a lot of other clubs are saying right our ambition is to be in the main stadium that's where our goal is you like you look at Arsenal who say that's where our goal is we want to get to a point where they're playing there every week which I would part of me thinks makes more sense because the stadium is already there 
But, you know, if that's where you want to be putting your money, um, that's another route, I suppose. And we've always talked about not just kind of going down the same route all the time in women's football, but trying new things. Well, they always seem a sort of side that has come from having a genuine interest in the women's side. I mean, when you look at, you know, Paul Barber, the CEO, he's uh, one of the directors on the board of Women in Football. Um, Yeah, I just he's always been sort of, you know, very concerned with the women's team in what what it seems to be quite a genuine level. Um, And then even before that, you had Polly Bancroft there, who obviously did an amazing job. She was one of the first people to say, we're not going to have white shorts anymore. We're going to change that. set. So there, there were things that they were doing before it sort of became a trend to sort of start some of these things so they do seem like a side that has done things slowly but in the right way yeah and it's not a side where they're like why are we making a profit it's not worth investing in right they appreciate that it's going to take time to start turning a profit and you need that in a in a club if you're genuinely invested in women's football you have to appreciate that it takes time Mm -hmm. and i do you do get that vibe from brighton well, I was trying to think of an amazing segue into the next section. So I bought a donut. I actually did go out and buy a donut. And then I ate half the donut, which kind of gets rid of the fact that there is a segue. I know. I actually bought a donut and I've just spilt sprinkles. I, I need to know what the segue the is. OK, well, I was going to ask you, do you know what the segue is? Half a donut? No. What are you, Homer Simpson? I don't understand. <laughs> the, the segue was, I had far too much time to think about this. It was because there was a team this weekend who were run rings around. Leicester. Wow. Yeah? Yeah, no, that was that was crap. Sorry. <laughs> I tried so hard. If you, if you brought in, like, some butter and was like... <laughs> A team that's be, you know like a hot knife through butter, but a donut. Like, I can't and then you go around donut. carrying hot knives through London. Are you are you mad? You ate half of your segue, so you made that ring <laughs> a half a ring. Okay, uh, I will think on, of a better I'll, one next weekend. It. I promise. I I do really pol- I really apologise. Um, I can't believe you actually went out and got a donut. I, I, well, it was kind of it was a double-edged sword. I kind of wanted a donut, and also it kind of made sense for the segue. Maybe it was the donut first, and then obviously I just tried to shoehorn it into this segue. Perhaps anyway, shoehorn would have made more sense. <laughs> Arsenal beat Leicester six-two in one of the spiciest eight-goal games that we have seen this season. The worst thing about this game is that Leicester went two-nil up within forty-five seconds of each other. The goals just—I was like, "Is there going to be a third one? What the hell is going on in the first half?" I mean, Rach, you were there. Explain to me your thought process after that second goal went in. I mean, shock was mine. <laughs> I, I was like, wow, this is not going to go the way people maybe thought it was going to go. I didn't think Arsenal were going to batter Leicester. I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be a tight game for Arsenal. Yeah. Looking at how Arsenal have played this season, looking at how Leicester have played this season, how they've tactically set up against some of the bigger teams, the way they played against Manchester City. But to be 2-0 up, Arsenal looked poor in the first half. Their fullbacks were struggling. Steph Catley was struggling with the speed of Deanne Rose. She was penned back. She couldn't get forward as much as she normally would have liked to. Oh, my God. Some of the counter-attacks from Rose, when she was just driving with the ball, I was like, wow, this is... And then down the other side, Katie McKay playing on the right was Mm -hmm. massively struggling as a left footer because Hannah Kane just inverted every time, forcing her to awkwardly have to try and spin around to get on, you know, to become defensive in that that moment. Mm -hmm. And she really struggled with it. Hannah Kane had so much space coming down that side. So on the wings, Leicester were doing really, really well. Um, and we know that Arsenal have struggled defensively this season. So I think Willie Kirk probably said to them, 
you just create a few chances. We know you can be clinical. You can get goals. And I'm pretty sure Manu Zinsberger didn't move an inch for either of them. Um, but yeah, I think they fully deserved it. From that first half, they fully deserved to go in at halftime ahead. 100%. Um, and I would love to have been a fly on that wall as Idaho was giving them all sort of a rocket up their backsides. Because um, I think they... Actually, he said he didn't. But why not? So I, I think basically everyone probably expected that they got the hairdryer treatment, right? Absolutely. And he was like, <laughs> Who been there? He was like, that's not what happened. He said it was no like Hollywood speech. He basically went in and was like, we need to be process driven. We need to identify the areas that are the problems. And that's what we need. So he basically went in and was like, look, it's the 1v1 battles. That's how Leicester are playing. 1v1s. You just need to be better than them in the 1v1s and you will have the over, like you'll have the space to get in behind them. And that's exactly what happened. And I think maybe that's where Leicester fell down is that what they should have done is they know Arsenal struggle to break down a team. Mm -hmm. And they were so committed to their style of play and playing a high line that Arsenal were able to counter every single time. And I think had they sat back, even after Arsenal got one or two, sat back. I know it's not what they normally... Not, not the way they want to be playing but in that moment take the heat out of the game you know that's where Arsenal struggle force them wide force them into these bloody long crosses into the box that they've struggled so much with but they didn't and they kind of stayed high and, and Arsenal in what 12 and a half minutes scored four goals just sliced right down the middle I think um, that was a difficult thing to watch and I kind of rate Willie Kirk being so brave and so bold to kind of continue and stick with this kind of Leicester way um, instead of saying, OK, well, you know, this isn't going to plan. We're going to completely change the script. It was like, actually, we need to be uncomfortable in these moments and actually just ride it out. So there was something that I kind of admired about that. But then also, you still need to grind out the game. You still need to be sensible. Arsenal are not a side that in the second half, they're going to fall flat. They're going to come at you, you know, three times as hard. And when you look at their attacking lineup, I mean, I, I got it completely wrong. I thought it was going to be, you know, quite even. I think I said it was going to be a draw um, this weekend. You were sort of saying something similar is going to be a tight battle but you were definitely more accurate because when you were sort of saying about you know how are they going to set up and you know are we going to see the three at the back that the Leicester City played last weekend or are we going to actually see them being a little bit more sensible and they were sensible a little bit more sensible defensively but it was Arsenal with the attacking line that they have now yes weak defensively but when you look at the fact that every single goal every single one of their six goals was created was 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 scored by a completely different goal scorer and there was a beautiful moment it was the uh, in 66 in the 66th minute there was three subs who came on and i it was the it was the the it was the, that was the realization even though i know arsenal got an amazing attacking line when you're bringing in three subs on the 66th minute and it's mead blackstinius and hurtig after you're already i think you were four nil up by that point you're thinking Christ, like you're throwing the kitchen sink, the fridge, the dishwasher, like every single cupboard at it, the kitchen tiles, the ceiling light, you're throwing your kids at this thing. Like there's just, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing left in the, like, I mean, and you and you still got Miedema on the bench who didn't even see In the single... Arsenal, as you were going to say. <laughs> Miedema wasn't well, Miedema wasn't well and Kim Little and Leo Volti were both injured and still Wild. Incredible, and it was just yeah. and the first touches from uh, Blackstinius almost a goal. The first touch of thing with Hertig with a header skims the crossbar, and then you had two incredible chances that Mead probably should have done better with oh. to get her first goal back. I mean that would have been yeah. that would have been elation. It would have just been an absolute magical moment in itself. But I mean she could have had two chances there. So when you look at how they converted their really good chances, that came could have almost been in double figures for Arsenal. Yeah. So in in the second half, in the second half what? alone. It made me think, so I went to the Serena Wiegmann uh, 
talk uh, high performance podcast recording during the week and she spoke about something she did with the Dutch team and it was where they identified that when something went wrong or didn't go according to plan that the players tended to then not focus on the plan and start doing their own kind of individual thing to Mm -hmm. either make up for it or try and change things and in order to prep for that they started doing things in training that made the players uncomfortable and made things kind of go off their plan to see how they reacted and train them in in how to react in those situations and it felt that's what reminded me of of Leicester is that against Man City they stuck to the game plan even though they were uncomfortable they Mm -hmm. stuck to the game plan against Arsenal it was almost like a few things went wrong and when that third goal went in it was like everything just went out the window. The game plan went out the window and you were seeing players do things that maybe they shouldn't have done or wouldn't normally do. And I just, it reminded me of that, of that kind of training the unpredictable and training for when things are not going to plan is an area, I guess, that is really hard to train, but something that can happen in these situations and then result in a team going, great, we're just going to score at nearly every attack that we get. Um, but yeah, I just, it was interesting. As you, for like for you as a player... Have you ever been involved in a big comeback or had a situation where you've had the hairdryer treatment at halftime and like just turned a game around? Oh my God, the amount of times we used to get the hairdryer treatment at Spurs was unreal. In fact, it kind of became the norm in a way. And I think um, it is those tense... I mean, that was sort of in our, the, the last season that we had as in the championship going into the WSL and obviously every single point mattered um, and I remember it was uh, Juan Juan Amoroso who we, we might touch on in a little bit uh, with Karen Hills and when we were not performing when we were sort of slacking or we were tired I mean a lot of us had full-time jobs we you know we were we were struggling towards the end of the season like th- I actually needed that I think there are players that actually just need that kick up the arse that they need that kind of get in there do your job stop messing around stop feeling sorry for yourself stop this pity party get back out there and do what you're paid to do which is very minimal at Spurs, but still, some compensation. That's a dangerous line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do what you're paid to do. All right, I'll just have a seat then, shall I? Do what you're paid your minimum wage to do, okay? I was like, yes, you have a vague point, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I needed that. Some players obviously need a bit more of kind of like the wraparound treatment, The kind of, especially the younger players, I think, kind of need that like, okay, well, let's... But I think there has been a shift in management where you are seeing players, like you said, kind of uh, managers, like you said, kind of taking this um, proactive approach, being like, okay, well, it's all well and good shouting at you, but you're not actually going to pass information on properly when you shout at someone. Someone's going to either get the backup or they might go out and do what you think they're supposed to be doing, but actually they're not processing and taking on board information and being clever they're not being intelligent players in that moment so I think it's I think it's probably a good thing that Idaville has adopted that very modern manager type style I would have loved to have experienced you know something calmer in my playing days for sure Jonas Idaville said after the game uh, the second half resembled the Arsenal way of playing um we also have a question in from Shalvi on Instagram they said thoughts on playing Brusso in the number 10 role at Arsenal what are we saying? Because there's just... <laughs> I feel like I feel like Arsenal have enough options in that position. Um, I, and like, I know we've touched on Russo and the work she does off the ball and how, you know, she plays a false nine sometimes. And I think allowing that kind of freedom is beneficial for Arsenal. But I don't think I'd necessarily substitute her into that number 10 role because you've got players who can play there. Monum, you've got Palova, you've got Miedema, you've got enough there for me to not need to put Russo there. Um, And look, she got a goal and she got an assist. The assist for the Caitlin Ford goal was an absolute peach. So I think she's, she'll she'll get there. She's fine on her feet. And I think, yeah, I, I wouldn't personally. 
All right then, Rach, we'll go for a break and then after we'll call up Meg and Alex to talk about the end of the NWSL and the return of the Champions League. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, so let's take it stateside. The NWSL playoff final and Rapino's exit. What a weekend it was across the pond. Gotham FC won their first NWSL title with a 2-1 win over Earl Reign in the final of the playoffs. And it wasn't without a few... Weird and wonderful surprises. Uh, an incredible game packed with an incident, including Megan Rapinoe's heartbreaking final game, not the way that she wanted to, to end her career. Um, we decided to, you know, get to the real coalface of what's going on and who better than US soccer writer Megan Swanick to get us the lowdown on what went down on this wild weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. How crazy busy has your weekend been in the aftermath of everything that's happened this weekend? I mean, you're still alive. You look really well. Um, yeah, have you slept much? Have you eaten much? Like, yeah, what's going on? Just 24-7 reflections on that wild final. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm definitely busy. And like you said, there's just so much to take in from what was a really enjoyable match to watch. I mean, what a treat, but certainly a lot of drama packed in. For our listeners' benefit, maybe talk us through, I know it ended 2-1, but talk us through the end of the game because it got really dramatic at the end. Yeah, I mean, what a, what an NWSL perfect uh, finale to the end of this season. We, we love to joke about it being the league of chaos. You never know what's going to happen. Um, drama until the final minute. So it's, you know, the final seconds of the match where in stoppage time, Gotham's keeper comes out to stop uh, an attack and, and collects a red at the top of the box. Um, the, Gotham's out of keepers, so they don't they can't send in a keeper to replace the keeper who's now out of the match. They've got a midfielder um, in the net. And I mean, God love her. Like she's she's done it before. She's taking it very seriously. Um, did did her duty was, you know, cleaning up the wall, making sure everyone was in the right spot. Uh, Owell Rain had a, a, a free kick, the opportunity to make something of, of those flailing last seconds with not of the midfielder in, in the net. Nothing came of it, and Gotham did come away with the win. But yeah, what a, what a nail-biter of an end. Another kind of storyline, I know, of course, we Ali Krieger and, and Megan Rapinoe were the, the big stories of it as well, but Sinead Farley and Manishim, um, two of the, the whistleblowers on the NWSL scandal, um, winning it was a real kind of full circle moment particularly I know for Sinead Farley who hadn't had stepped away from football and had come back in and, and not only made the Irish squad but made a World Cup and then to win it was a pretty special story yeah I would say that the, the, the pair of whistleblowers who left football for having shed light on, on what they'd experienced coming back coming back to the same team um, having been really outspoken about being 
treated so well with with Gotham and and by the league in their return and then to see them you know embrace each other after the final whistle it's a it's a very emotional um I think return for them and 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 really you you can't make this stuff up I mean what a perfect return for them to to professional football um just going back to sort of um Gotham and you know where they've come from and how they've reached this kind of moment in time that's you know so historic for them you know you look at last season obviously finishing bottom then coming from like this meteoric rise um a lot of people are kind of saying you know Juan Carlos Amaros you know he's one of my former coaches at, at Spurs I mean do you think he was sort of the what they needed to kind of reinvigorate themselves and get themselves back into you know winning ways is he a big part of that or do you attribute their sort of uh success this season to, to other things I think it's a combination of things of which he is a major part I mean he really did an incredible job this season he had a really interesting um, roster of talent a lot of really elite talent but he he really put it together I think near perfectly and, and allowed them to play with freedom but w- within um, with a, with a mission with a vision with a with a team identity and I think that he was one of the main factors, I would say, alongside a lot of work done behind the scenes um, to put together that roster. I mean, they did a lot of changes in the offseason, um, bringing in new talent, bringing in players like Lynn Williams, um, coming away with the coup of Esther Gonzalez uh, after the World Cup, who scored the second goal, the decisive goal on Saturday night. So she can add NW- NWSL champion to her World Cup. <laughs> what champion <are> you? crown. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I know. I, I know. We keep talking about this sto- various stories around it, but it just added to the drama of it all. And um, of course, Megan Rapinoe's last game, and three minutes in, she tears her Achilles. I mean, she said something like, "If she didn't have a sense of humor, like thank God she has a sense of humor, because there is sick sense of humor." Because you look at how you know the World Cup ended for her, and now this, and she probably thought she was done with football, and now she has this rehab to do. Um, how has that kind of been taken over there? Yeah, I think a lot of people who'd been watching Megan Rapinoe throughout her career, I mean, a lot of people in the journalism media space kind of grew up with her to in a certain sense. Like, she loves talking to the media. I think that she kind of ran a parallel career to a lot of people who were writing there at the game. Um, fans, I know tons of fans who I spoke to, really wanted to be there in person to see her last game. And I think a lot of people were hoping for the type of redemption story that we saw for other players on the field after that World Cup penalty mess, you know, losing in the earliest round they ever have in U.S. women's national team history. You know, you wanted some kind of redemptive glory for her. And instead, three minutes in and she's she's down, non-contact injury, you can tell right away that this is something probably rather serious. I mean, I think in the post-match, she was joking, but she said, this is proof there's there's no God, which is, um, is, is funny, and it's a very Megan Rapino type of comment. But <laughs> yeah, it's just a cruel, cruel fate. I mean, what do you think is going to be next for these two? I mean, obviously, Rapino and Ali Krieger also played their last game uh, this weekend. I mean, I think we spoke on previous podcasts that I suspected that Megan was going to go into something media-related. I thought maybe she was going to co-host, like, Ellen DeGeneres' show or something like that. And I appreciate, obviously, it's been quite a difficult year for Ali Krieger, what with um, the sort of split from, from Ashton Harris as well. But has there been any kind of um, any whispers on the on the grapevine at all about where these two might be headed for now? 
I think both will definitely stay very involved in the women's soccer, women's sports landscape, but maybe taking on, on different roles. I'm not sure Ellie Cougar has been as specific in what she wants to do. I'm sure many things, including media or maybe ownership, are something that she would be interested in. Megan Rapino, though, has been an advocate throughout her career, and I think that she wants to kind of focus on that in, in her retirement. And I think she very specifically wants to advocate for women's sports. Um, in the past few months since announcing her retirement, she's talked a lot about the place that women's sports are in now um, versus where it was when f- she first got started. And I think she feels a calling to uh, contribute to making sure that that continues and, and continues to grow. Megan, thank you so, so much uh, for giving up your time. Thank you, Meg. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Chloe, you just casually used to be managed by the winner, NWSL Coach of the Year. No big deal. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was amazing to kind of see the success that he was having over in the US. And I'm not in any way kind of surprised. I mean, he was our manager at Spurs for five seasons and he sort of took us from the championship set up into the WSL. And I think one of the, the my favourite memory of one uh, of all time, I mean, every single game in that in that last championship season, he would always say, this game, you have to play every single game from the start of the season as if this is your final. This is the this is the season that we're going to do it. And that belief was instilled in us from the very outset. There was like, we're not dropping points. You're, you fight, you die, you do anything you can for your teammates. And I kind of saw those sentiments echoed in what the Gotham FC players were saying. But I think there was one particular game and it was the deciding game, the, the game that Spurs played against Aston Villa at the time. And it was the, we had to get a point out of the game to secure our um, spot in the WSL. And like we were all sort of getting ready, absolutely shitting ourselves. We were in this horrible little changing room um, and Juan pulled out this uh, his laptop and it had on it a presentation that he'd put together and it was over the sound of an Emily Sande um, song and I would honestly never forget it, the whole change room was in tears and it was like a montage of every single beautiful moment that we'd had together Like, and it was um, with One Direction as well there was a One Direction song at the end, it was like a whole lot of history or whatever it was it was a few um, bars, go on, you know you want to a whole don't, lot don't, no, of don't, oh. But we all just, we were in bits before we'd even walked out into the pitch and it was like us, there was like scenes of us like hugging, celebrations from like previous games. There was like all of us all together on nights out. And I think that, I've got to say, that presentation was probably the defining reason that we won that game because I've never felt more like a family, more like a unit, more like we had to achieve something special in any single moment of my career. Like that moment still now gives me goosebumps and that was something that that Juan had done for us. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised actually that, you know, that Gotham have gone on to to turn that season around because yeah, he does have a special way with people. So congratulations Juan, man. Hopefully I'll see you in the US at some point soon. Right, thank you so much to Megan for joining us again. Uh, we've got to touch on a big bit of celebrity gossip uh, this weekend. Uh, Christy Mewis got engaged with Sam Kerr at the weekend. Um, I mean, there's kind of been rumours about it. She's been sort of appearing on Instagram photos with that juicy little massive diamond on, on her finger. And everyone's been like, oh, are they engaged? Or is it just like she's put it on there for fun and games? Um, do we think there's some element of there being... It, it seems a bit of a weird time. Not weird timing. It's amazing they've got engaged. But also, Emma Hayes has just kind of announced or kind of going to announce potentially that she's going to the US. Sam Kerr's 
girlfriend, fiance, is US based. Sam Kerr also played under Emma Hayes at Chicago Red Stars. Sam Kerr's contract is also up with Chelsea at the end of the season. Do you know where I'm going with this, Rach? Yeah, I think I think the timing is all coincidence. I think, you know, if Sam Kerr does end up in the US, you know, I they were engaged before Emma Hayes made the announcement, before she would have known that Emma Hayes was leaving. So I think... You don't think co- they coordinated it together? Coincidental just... timing, but <laughs> many congratulations uh, to the both of them. The Champions League is back this week. Chelsea will be flying the flag for the WSL uh, because their other teams got knocked out really early. Um, and they've had a tough start. A first a first big start against Real Madrid on Wednesday. Who else were we going to approach? We dialed up DAZN football reporter and friend of the pod, Alex Ibasetta, whose timing today has been absolutely phenomenal, uh, just to find out what awaits Chelsea in Europe. Right, Alex, I mean, you must be looking forward to this game. This is a big, weighty, juicy little matchup, exactly the kind of game that you want to kick off the group stage proper in this tournament. Um, yeah, what, how are you feeling? Are you looking forward to it? Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. First of all, you can definitely tell I like you guys because I'm always late to everything. So um, <laughs> there's, there's a plus to that. Um, <laughs> really appreciate it. You're welcome. No, it's, yeah, like Champions League, I think we've been waiting for this moment since the last one ended, really. Um, qualifications get you by, but obviously it's not as satisfying as, as a proper round, as a group stage, um, when things are, well, I was going to say when things are on the line, but obviously for a lot of things were on the line for Wolfsburg and Arsenal on the qualification. Um, but it's now, it, it it's down to the real stuff of actually getting to the Champions League final. First of all, you have to get out of the group. We've seen, obviously, Chelsea as an example. You know, you, you're not always guaranteed to get out of the group stage, no matter how confident you are. Um, and obviously, Chelsea have Chelsea have an, a, an okay group. Obviously, you know, Real Madrid is, is the biggest rival. Um, and last year, I thought they did fine against Real Madrid. Um, probably not as superior as they probably could have been. Um, but obviously, Paris FC has the history of knocking out Arsenal and Wolfsburg, although they did lose in the league quite heavily to Leon, So you don't know exactly how it's going to be matched up. But yeah, I think Chelsea-Real Madrid is going to be very interesting. Um, Real Madrid lost their striker, obviously, in Esther Gonzalez, um, lost their star player in Caroline Weir. So they are struggling. Um, but then again, they put up a big performance against Real Sociedad this weekend. Um, you know, six goals, that doesn't happen often for, for Real Madrid, especially lately. So I think it's going to be a big matchup um, to see exactly where Chelsea and Real Madrid are, particularly in Europe. How do you think they've dealt with the loss of Caroline Weir? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think I the biggest addition to the team this season was obviously Hayley Razo. Um, another WSL player we're, we're fairly aware of and after the World Cup we know exactly how good she is I think no one's underestimating Hayley Razo so obviously Real Madrid had the, the vision of having Hayley Razo and Caroline Weir and obviously Tere Abellera who was the, the starting pivot for Spain in the World Cup you know that was supposed to be one of the best midfields there, there could have been and Caroline Weir was a star player and they've dealt with it I think they've gotten lucky with how they've dealt with it, because I personally don't think they've dealt with it exactly. Um, Tell us how you really gotten feel. Lucky. <laughs> I mean, let's let's not hold it back here. Um, they've not dealt with it, but they've gotten lucky that Signe Brun in particular has been playing really well, has been scoring goals. Um, I think the success that Signe Brun has gotten both 
I mean, she's more of a striker position rather than midfield, but you know, you, you have players that can get by in the midfield that can't get by in the striker position. I'm just curious to see how that matches up against the Chelsea, for example. You know, Liga, if it, um, opposition, when you play against Real Sociedad, it's going to be much different to that of Chelsea. So it's fine that Real Madrid have the confidence, but I don't think they've actually dealt with a lot of the problems that that they have, um, defensive problems as well. So Caroline Weir, I think, is going to be very much noticeable um, when you're playing in Europe. I mean, you mentioned there that obviously they've, you know, there's been some depletion in uh, Real Madrid's attacking line, but like you also have, I mean, Linda Caicedo. That every time I mention that name, I just can't help but be thrown back to that Australia moment with that curling, ridiculous shot against Germany. Like it will stay in my mind rent free probably for the the rest of my life. Um, I mean, how is she sort of bedded in, and what are we expecting? What kind of presence and attacking threat are we going to be expecting from her this uh, this Wednesday? Yeah, I think she's going to be one of the, the main players in, in Real Madrid's attack. And I think Chelsea know that as well. They're going to prepare to kind of go up against her, potentially not try to be a Germany <laughs> um, again <laughs> in that way. But I think, yeah, Lina Caicedo for me, actually, she's been a lot more quiet than, than I expected. Um, I mean, you say that when she's still scoring goals, when she's still assisting. Um, so it's just a matter of potentially even putting her up on, on the schedule of, you know, that's when we were talking about Sam Kerr, for example. Say she was scoring five goals, but we wanted her to score 10. So it's it's the same pressure of that you put on Linda Caicedo in, in that sense. But she's been, I think she's really keen to get to get playing in the Champions League. Um, obviously, she she's only played half a season with Real Madrid. And now that Esther Gonzalez has gone, she does have a bit more spotlight. Obviously, after the World Cup, she has more of a spotlight as well. So I am quite curious to see how if she's able to keep up with the pressure as well, if she's able to keep the pressure of, of being one of Real Madrid's you know, biggest creators. Speaking of pressure, obviously Emma Hayes announced her departure last week and everyone keeps labelling the fact that they haven't won the Champions League with Emma Hayes and Emma Hayes hasn't won the Champions League. And she very rightly pointed out in her um, pre-match press conference that she has won the Champions League. She won it with Arsenal. Um, but of course she wants to win it with Chelsea. How do you think that's going to affect, or is it? Do you think it's going to affect the team at all in 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 Europe this season? I think it's going to affect them positively. Um, whether that's going to be enough is the other. I think is is the actual question there. And um, obviously, the players are going to want to send Emma. I think a lot of these players have a lot to owe to Emma. And um, when you look at players like Aaron Cuthbert, for example, that Emma brought in, and when you look at the the mindset that Chelsea has, the winning mindset, you know, Chelsea wouldn't be the club that it is now without Emma. Is that's just facts at this point. Um, so I think the players are going to have the extra incentive. But when you look down to to the quality of, of Chelsea and the quality of management and you look at all of that, there's still a lot more teams ahead of Chelsea. Um, and that's not to say, you know, Chelsea did get to, to the semifinals in the other day um, last season. Um, Arsenal got to the semifinals last season. <laughs> that says a lot. So it's it's a competition that a lot can happen. But... I don't think Chelsea is going to have a big advantage just because players are going to be motivated to win the Champions League for Emma Hayes. Um, it's not going to be enough, but obviously it's certainly going to you know give them the extra push maybe if, if they're down a goal, if they need to, to come back. It might give them that extra incentive, but don't know. And just on the old hazy news, I mean, we're obviously devastated. We're still recoiling in shock from everything that's happened last weekend. It's been quite a dark day for women's football. Um, I mean, obviously, how was it kind of perceived in Europe? I mean, what was your thoughts? Was there a part of anyone in Spain going, hmm, 
we could do with an Emma Hayes over here before obviously the US women's national team sort of seemed to be quite um, a done deal. Yeah. Yeah, like Emma Hayes managing Barcelona would have been like mind blowing. I mean, Emma Hayes has definitely said that she'll be interested in coaching and managing the Spanish national team. So obviously, you know, Spain took took a likely to to get the headlines out and all that. Um, Emma Hayes, you know, especially in the women's football world, every media that covers women's football would have had Emma Hayes leaving Chelsea as a headline. Um, I think even if you don't know much about her, you know, Emma Hayes leaving. Chelsea after eleven years at the club is is a headline and and you know in any media and that's gonna be talked about around everywhere much more with the Champions League coming up. Um, you know the hype around that is naturally around Chelsea and Barcelona and Real Madrid and all these big names and then you have this big news. Um, and yeah, especially in Spain that she said that you know she would have liked to to coach the national team. Everything that's going on with the national team, obviously that was um. For for maybe five minutes before the US news broke, yeah, there it was, was like a, there was wish. yeah yeah no, there was like a bit of of happiness for those five minutes, and that obviously came crashing down. Um, but I think around Europe, it's it's one of those things that you appreciate no matter what team you're from. You know, you appreciate if you like Emma Hayes or not. Um, I think that's regardless. But you appreciate what Emma Hayes means to Chelsea. Um, and you don't take that lightly. I think that's all we can grow on for 10 minutes. Um, no, I really appreciate um, you giving up your time. Thank you so much, mate. No, thanks for having me on. I'll see you over there, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Shit, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Have a siesta. I'll see you then. <laughs> Thank you so much to Alex for joining us there. Rach, you're off on a little Champions League jaunt this weekend, aren't you? Uh, when are you flying out? Uh, I'm flying to Barcelona tomorrow because we're going to go and watch uh, Barcelona versus Benfica. And then we're going to get the train down to Madrid on Wednesday morning to watch Real Madrid versus Chelsea. Oh my God, that's going to be such a trip. I wish I was third wheeling. I honestly do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and X at morgie underscore 89. Rach is at girls on the ball and we are generally at upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at upfront pod. We will see you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 